we're going to pick up in the middle of a series that we have entitled Stronger. It's a study on the book of Hebrews, and the Hebrews in this uh, book are contemplating throwing in the towel. They're experiencing some persecution, and the writer is looking at them and saying, don't give up, don't give in, don't quit. He actually says, keep running your race. He says, you got to run this race that is our faith with endurance. He says, you got to run with the right focus. He's saying, don't quit, don't give in, run. And this is where I want to pick up today, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. If you'll look, if you'll focus your attention to the screen, I want to read this together. The Bible reads like this. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus. Other translations say fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I want to just preach a message to you that I've entitled, Run, Don't Walk. Run, Don't Walk. How many of you in the room, you would raise your hand and you would say, I like to work out. How many of you like to work out? Okay. If your hand is raised, you're officially dismissed. You can run home. You can jog if you'd like, if that's your thing. Um, I'm convinced that having to work out is a result of the fall of man. I am subscribed to the belief that there were no gyms in Genesis. I believe that there were no ellipticals in the Garden of Eden. Those those things didn't exist. There were no weights. There were no dumbbells. I believe that God in his infinite wisdom created us as perfect beings. I think Adam looked like Arnold in the 80s. Okay, Biceps. six. I think Adam and Eve had like 5% body fat. I just think, and some of you are like, Pastor, where's your scripture? Where are you pulling this from? The Bible says they were naked and unashamed. Okay? That's, you got to have it going on if you're, okay? I'm just saying. It wasn't until they ate of the forbidden fruit that sin and calories entered the world, right? And, and so, listen, I don't like to work out, but I do work out sometimes when I feel like it. Uh, but I, when I do work out, I don't work out because I love working out. I actually do what I hate because of what I love to do. I love to eat. I'm a much better eater than I am a faster. It's my spiritual gift. But when I work out, i just be honest, I prefer to lift weights. But here's the thing about lifting weights is lifting weights doesn't burn the calories. You got to do, do some cardio. You got to engage in this three-letter word that we all hate. Well, most of us hate. Some of, some of us are crazy and love it. And so, but it's, it's the word run. And so, as a matter of fact, I hate the fact that run rhymes with fun. It just doesn't make any sense. I tried to go running recently, and I ran for about two minutes, and then I had to come back home because I forgot something. I forgot how much I hated running. And so I, I just said, you know what, I'm going to go back home. And so... But I hate to run. And recently, my wife and I, we celebrated 10 years married, and we went on a cruise. Yeah. You can cheat. You can clap for marriage. We love marriage. And we celebrated 10 years. We made a decade. That's a long time. And so we said, let's go on a cruise to Mexico. And we go on this cruise, and, and what you need about cruises is when you go on a cruise, you go on a cruise to eat. You don't go on a cruise to diet, okay? 
So that, that pizza at 12 a.m., because it's open 24 hours, that little pizza place on the ship, that's built into the price. I'm going to let you do with whatever you want with that information, okay? I learned that cruise that any pizza is a personal pizza if you believe in yourself enough. It was a lot of eating that we did. And so we, we just said, you know what, we want to try to offset that calorie intake. We want to get in the gym because the cruise had a gym. And so I would get up early in the morning because cruisers sleep in. And I was trying to get, you know, when you go into a gym and there's nobody there, it's a great feeling. I wanted to go in there by myself. And, and so I get up early and there's a few people in the gym. And, it's, and, and I'm like, you know what, I want to start off every morning on the treadmill. Now, you're on the treadmill, and you're looking out into the ocean. It's beautiful. And I would get on this treadmill, but I'm sitting there like it's quiet. I'm looking at beauty. I don't want to run. I want to go outside and experience the air. I don't want to run. I want to go do something else. And so how many of you know you got to, like, create fake scenarios in your head to motivate yourself, right? I think every, every guy in here knows what I'm about to uh, just describe. Have you ever been, like, running and you're thinking to yourself, you're so tired, you want to give up, and you're like, if I don't make it to that tree in the next 30 seconds, my whole family dies. i got to make it there. <laughs> you, like, you, talk, you give yourself these crazy scenarios, right? And, and so I'm like, I'm, I'm like I, I need a scenario. And I look around the room, and I'm looking, and I'm looking for somebody, anybody, preferably a much older somebody, and I find this older woman, she's like in her 70s, and she gets on this treadmill right next to me, and I'm like, okay, you the one today, and I look over at her, and I say to her, not out loud, but in my head, I said, Psh, you don't want none, and this is, what I, this is what that means. We just, unbeknownst to her, we just entered into the 2021 track and field Olympics. She is my opponent, and I get on the treadmill next to this woman, and she's uh, she goes up to like speed four, I go to 4.1. She goes to speed five, I go to 5.1. I'm not going to be outdone, okay? She puts it on an incline, I put mine on an incline. She, she stops and takes a break. I stop and take a break because you can't run when they're taking a break. It's, it's a big deal in the Olympics. It's called cheating. And so I had to take a break with her, and then finally we get back on. She, t- she hits the thing to turn hers off. Her race is over, and that's my cue to put this thing in a full sprint and finish strong. And so I put it up, and I run. I hit my mile marker, turn it off, and I let out a, I got the gold. And I'm celebrating, and she's looking at me, and I'm like, you wouldn't understand second place and all. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. But I'd start off my morning working out. How many of you have ever compared, your, you've ever gone to a gym and you look at somebody else and like a physical trainer walks in and you're like, oh my goodness, we're doing the same thing, but we're not doing the same thing. You compare, right? Listen, it's funny to compare yourself when it comes to exercise. It's not quite as funny when you compare yourself to people in life, is it? And I think that today, as the author of the book of Hebrews, he challenges us, you got to run your race. He says, you got to run your personal, individual race. In other words, he's saying, stay in your lane. And I think today's message mandates that we introspectively ask ourselves the critical question, who are you racing? I think today's message challenges us to evaluate our lives and ask ourselves this question, who are your eyes fixed on? Who are you looking at? 
long time ago, somebody that was mentoring me said, Justin, if you preach and teach from your weaknesses, you'll never run out of stuff to talk about. And I remembered that because this has been something that has been a challenge for me. As I look back, and if I'm being honest, throughout my life, it's incredibly easy to get my eyes off of what God has called me to and to look at other people, to look across, to look behind, to look over, and to compare my pace to their pace, to compare my speed to their speed, to compare where I'm at with where they're at. And I found in my own life as I'm running my own race that God has set before me that I have this tendency, this inward proclivity to look at other people and to look at their race and to look over into their lanes. And I have this hunch, I bet that I'm not the only one. And so today, I brought a list of areas that I think we naturally, everybody in the room, tends to look across and compare ours to theirs. I think many of us would compare attractiveness. Have you ever been jealous of someone else's metabolism? Hello? I think we compare success. Have you ever looked at somebody else and said, look at what they've accomplished at 26, and here I am at 40, nowhere near where they're at. I think some of us, we compare influence. Why do people listen to them, but they don't listen to me? I think many of us compare educational experiences and achievements. Oh, it must be nice to afford an education when I didn't come from anything. I think many of us compare marriages. You know, well, they communicate and they do a a weekly date night. I think some of us compare families. What's it like to have a supportive family that's in your corner? I think some of us compare working environments and staff cultures. Well, they celebrate their people. Their team does retreats and their team does this. They invest in their team. I think we compare talents and giftings. Can I just tell you, if I could sing, there would be no preacher in me. I would sing it just nonstop. You would never be able to get me to shut up. I would not teach or preach. I would sing. I think we compare spirituality. Well, they're just wise. They know the Bible way better than I do, and, and, and we compare. And I think the Apostle Paul attempts to bring order and structure to the church in Corinth when he says this. He says uh, that comparison is the opposite of wisdom. He actually says comparison is antithetical to wisdom. And right here in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, he says, For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves by those who commend themselves. But they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. Do you know why it's not wise to compare? Here's my theory, and as I've experienced just a little bit of life today, here's what I've come to understand. And this is what comparison has done to me every single time, and I think it does it to not just me, but maybe you as well. Comparison clouds the clarity of God's call on our life. Comparison will cloud the clarity of what God has called you to. I just need you to know, God has called you to your spouse. He's called you to own your faith. He's called you to your family. He's called you to his voice. He's called you to some things that are unique and specific to you. I think we all have a primary calling, and that is to look and become more like Jesus Christ each and every day, and then this other, I'm going to define it like this, to become unlike anybody else that God has ever created, because he's called you to run your race, and your race is different than my race, and my race is different than your race. Can I just tell you, I make a terrible David McMullen, but David McMullen makes an incredible David McMullen. Can I just tell you, you would make a terrible them, but you make a pretty great you. God's called you to run your race. And I want to establish this today, that there's actually been a call that is placed on your life. 
And it's not a random call, but it's a call that is so specific and so unique and, 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 and so detailed to you that you will feel it when you step into it. Can I just put it this way? God has given you grace to run your race. He's not giving you grace to run somebody else's race. This is why if, if, if somebody else went through what you went through, they would have quit. And in the same way, if you tried to accomplish what somebody else accomplished, you might quit. But God's grace is sufficient for you. It's sufficient for your race. There is a calling and there's a grace that comes with that calling. Some of you are in here going, man, is it time to quit? Is it time to move on? Is it time to what? It is hard. But can I just remind you, he's giving you grace for it. Some of us have compared ourselves to others for so long that the call of God in our lives has become clouded and fuzzy and unclear because our eyes have not been fixed on Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. It has been to the left and it has been to the right and everywhere in between. And therefore, we don't even remember what our calling looks like. And I think that sometimes when our calling gets fuzzy, we become passive. I just felt like today, I wanted to start off with this comparison piece because I do feel like today God is, is speaking to some hearts and God is moving in some people's lives. And he's saying this, this is what I felt like God put on my heart for you, that God is saying, take your eyes off of others, place them back on me and re-engage in your race. God has called you to an active faith. I just got to, just because it's not just to not do this. It's actually to do and accomplish and achieve something. And I don't even necessarily like using those words. Let me use a different word. I believe God has called us to movement. And if you're running your race and you cannot look behind you in your lane and see five steps, ten steps, and be able to explain, this was the step, like Matthew said, where, man, giving and tithe and generosity was a challenge, but that was a step that he took. He can look back and define a step. He can look back and define movement. He can look back and define there was a step of faith towards maturity that took place in my life. And if you are running your race, you'll be able to look back and you'll be able to count the steps. You'll be able to look back and define the steps. I'm just here to remind some of us today, God has not called us to be passive or stagnant. He's called us to be active. He's called us to movement. you got to run your race. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. There's a phrase, there's a, there's a passage that many of us have heard, but if we're being honest, it, it's kind of been interpreted in a way that I don't believe can be supported necessarily by Scripture. But the way that it is supported is actually encouraging to me, and I want to share it with you. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2 says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, Typically, whenever I've heard this text taught, it's usually like this. We're in a coliseum, we're in a stadium, there's a track that we are running, and all of our loved ones that have died, or all of the former saints that have lived for God and died, are looking down over the rafters of heaven saying, you got this, you can do this, keep going, don't give up. That's kind of how it's taught, and i got to be honest, it's a really great thought, it's a really nice thought, but I don't know if it can be supported in Scripture, and I'm actually really glad we're having this conversation open, because this would be a really awkward one to have individually. But I want to just help teach you this, and I want to give you a way to view this and approach this. Um, have you ever tried to get a toddler to turn away from Cocoa Melon? 
Have you ever tried to look at a toddler and say, it's time to eat, it's time to get dressed, we got it. it's time for bed. Can I just tell you what response you're going to get? I got a two-year-old and a four-year-old. They look like, like, I'm not looking at you. Yeah, I hear you, but I don't see you. Dad, go away. I'm watching Coco Melon. They don't want to hear me. You want to know why? Because why would they take their eyes off of something so that they love and put it on something that they don't want to do. Can I, let me just put it to you this way. Is heaven really a place where we have to stand around? We're with God. No pain, no suffering, no sickness, streets of gold, God's presence, God's glory. We're there. And yet we have to look down at heaven. I mean, we have to look down at earth and, and we have to watch the violence, the murder, the rape, the deception, the hypocrisy. Is heaven really a place where there we are with new bodies, new minds, with Jesus, and we got to tune into channel earth? Or might our eyes be so fixed on God? Might we be experiencing the fullness of joy in heaven that there's no way you're getting our eyes off of him? I think both the Greeks and the Latins, they frequently used the term cloud to express a great number of persons or things. This is what they were talking about. They weren't talking about former loved ones looking down from heaven at us, watching us. Because if they're in heaven, can I just tell you, they're much better off not looking down here. They are experiencing the fullness of joy. They are experiencing wholeness and fullness and completeness like we can't even imagine down here. So let me just give you that so that you can rest in that because I'm, I'm looking forward to heaven. Okay? This is what it's saying. Those that loved God and have gone before God are not witnesses to us. They're witnesses for us. Let me just, the text is implying that they're actually witnesses to the faithfulness of God. And so, let me just put it this way. Anybody that has ever walked with God and has died and gone on, here's what they would be saying to us today. I think they would be saying to us, listen, you might be new at this, but you're not the first at this. I think they may be saying, listen, you might be trying to figure this out, but I've seen God's faithfulness, and I've got a story that is in Scripture that you can look to, that you can be encouraged by. I think that there would be actually, I, I like this idea that there are coaches in Scripture that we can look to. There are mentors in Scripture, in the Bible, that we can look to, learn their stories, read their stories, and be encouraged to run our race by looking at how they ran their race. Can I just tell you, I think some of the heroes of the faith would be looking at us saying, listen, y'all, we walked so y'all could run. Here's what I think it's saying. Uh, there's 5,000 years of history full of men and women who have ran their race. They're witnesses and they are examples of how to do this thing called running our race. Can I just tell you, I like this idea of looking at heroes in the faith and putting the word coach in front of their name and letting them coach me. What would Coach Abraham tell us about running our race? I think Coach Abraham would look at us and say, listen, even when your heart is full of doubt and all you feel like you've experienced is delay and waiting and waiting and waiting and your patience is being tested, I think Coach Abraham would say, listen, I know it's hard. You can trust him. He is faithful. Run your race. I think Coach Moses would look at us and say that God is bigger and greater than our excuses. Do you remember when God calls him and he goes excuse after excuse after excuse, trying to disqualify himself because of his own insecurity? I think Coach Moses would look at you and say, he'll use you right where you're at. He'll use what's in your hand. He'll use you just like you are right there. He's faithful. Run your race. I think Coach Noah would tell us you can trust God before you can believe God. 
I think Coach Noah would look at us and say, man, you don't even know when God told me he was going to flood the earth and he said it was going to rain. I looked at God and said, God, what's rain? Because it had never rained before. I think Coach Noah would look at us and say, sometimes God calls you to the ridiculous church. Sometimes God calls you to things that you can't even fathom or comprehend until it happens. I think Coach Noah would spur us on and build our faith if he were to be here today talking to us. What would Coach Mary, mother of Jesus, tell us about running our race? I think Coach Mary would look at us and say, when you allow God to overshadow you and you take on humility, he will weave you into the salvation story of countless others. He is faithful to use you, friends. Run your race. What would Coach Peter tell us? You remember the disciple Peter, right? The loud mouth. He's kind of the runt of the pack. I think Coach Peter would tell us that, y'all, it's, it's possible to recover from failure. I think Coach Peter would look at us as a church and say failure is not fatal and failure is not final. He's the God of the second chance. He's the God of restoration. He's the God of third, fourth, fifth, hundred, thousand times. He's, he's the God that will welcome you back. I think Coach Peter could teach us something as we run our race. This is their witness to us as we run our race. This is why it's so important. I just got to tell you, you got to read your Bible, y'all. You got to know these stories. You got to allow these. Listen, the Bible is not written like to you. You can't take it literally, but it was written for us as the people of God. We can look at the names and the stories and the testimonies and the miracles and the faithfulness and the favor of God that He has had on His people for the last five. I'm telling you, we got to get in this. We got to know our Bible. Because, Because when we don't, it leads to a passive faith, and God has called us to movement. Sometimes we need fuel in the tank. An athlete is always looking for an edge. They're always looking. Listen, I work with a football team. You don't know why they like having me in there? Because I come in and I do my best to inspire. If I can inspire them and give them a thought that they can grab hold of, then that's going to be fuel in their tank. Can I just tell you, as Christians, we need fuel in our tank. You need the encouragement of this great cloud of witnesses that have gone before you. Let me just say it this way as the next-gen pastor. You need to know these stories so you can pass these stories on to your kids, so you can teach these stories to your kids. Because there are teenagers and there are boys and girls in here that if I were to say the name Moa, Noah, Moses, Mary, they would not know who we were talking about. We've got to disciple our kids. Talk about fuel in the tank to keep going. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us, let us lay aside every weight. And the sin which so easily ensnares us. The writer here is saying, if you're going to run your race, you got to lay some things aside. He's saying some things are not worth carrying. He's saying, I know you, you know, like my kid who, who likes a toy, and I'm going, Isaiah, you can't bring that toy to church. You can't bring that toy everywhere. you got to put it down. Sometimes we have sin and weight that we don't want to put down. And he's saying it's not worth it if you're going to run this race. But keep in mind the author's talk, talking about two separate things that hold us back and two separate things that make our individual race difficult for us to run. And I want to define these for us today. And so let's talk about sin. If you're a non-believer, if you're a non-Christian in the room, I want to welcome you first. I want to say I'm glad that you're here. But I want to just say this as well, that sin can sometimes elude definition. And because of that, it eludes comprehension for us. And the word sin, I want to help you understand this, it's actually an archery term. The word hamartia means to miss the mark in the sense that an arrow misses its intended target. It carries this idea of 
intending to do something, but failing. How many of you have intended to do the right thing and failed? How many of you have intended to say the right thing, but failed? How many of you have set out to be perfect and only ever fallen short of that standard? This is what it means to sin. It carries the idea of intending to do something, but not being able to. How many of you know that we are not perfect and we don't hit that bullseye? Romans 3.23 says, all have fallen short of the glory of God. When we say that someone else has sinned, what we're simply saying is they messed up. We have this saying here at Saints Community Church, and it goes like this. There's no perfect people allowed. You want to know why? Because every single one of us did something this week that disqualified us from that perfect people category. One of the major problems with mankind is that we see sin so clearly in other people and fail to see it in our own life. In some ways, can I say it this way? Sin is almost an absence rather than a presence. Sin fails to listen. Sin fails to understand. Sin fails to give grace and mercy. Sin fails to be patient. Sin walks past the needy and does nothing. Sin, it's this instinctive tendency to put one's own interests and needs before anybody else. Sin is prideful. Sin is greed. Sin is to miss the mark of perfection. And we ain't perfect, y'all. So let me just go ahead and, and level the playing field for us this morning. There's nobody that's exempt from this. And, and so listen, I, want, I didn't want to give you a list of sins so that we could point at and say, okay, well, I do that, and I don't do that, but they do that. Listen, I wanted to give you a way to view it so that you can use the discernment of the Holy Spirit and say, God, what in my life is sin? And this is what I believe. I believe that if you are a follower of Christ and you have a relationship with Jesus, he'll tell you where the sin is in your life. I love what David says in Psalm 139. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. He didn't say, God, reveal theirs. He says, no, God, search my heart. Tell me what in my life is sin. Try me. Know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked ways in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. If you are a follower of Jesus today and the Spirit of God lives in you, I believe it's as simple as saying, Jesus, what in my life is a sin issue? And I believe he'll bring it. I I believe some of you don't even need to pray. It'll just come to the forefront of your mind and you'll know. But maybe if you're in here and you're going, I don't know if this is sin. Let me just encourage you, ask your small group pastor. Listen, I know we're on a break from small groups, but we don't take breaks from relationship. And you can call or you can text. You can go have food, go grab dinner, coffee. You can, come on, this is, this is discipleship. Here's what I want you to understand about running your race with sin in your life. David, would you come up here real quick? I want you to help me teach this. I brought something to help kind of bring this illustration to life. And, and, and so I brought a, a weighted vest. And you put this thing on, but can I just tell you, you don't put this thing on for running. This thing is pretty heavy. Now, it probably won't be as heavy for David. David's got some broad shoulders, pretty big guy. I want you to just put that on for me, David, because you're pretty strong. So he's going to put that on. I want you to know that running your race with sin is like trying to run a marathon with a weighted vest. You want to know what this is such a great picture of is because this may not prevent you from completing the race, David, but it will greatly decrease your chances. There, I believe there are people that make it to heaven across the finish line clawing and scratching and still wrestling with their sin. I believe people make it, but can I just tell you, it greatly decreases your chance of making it across the finish line. Also, I think this right here, if you were to sprint with this, you probably get injured. You probably get some pain that was unnecessary. I think that if you were to run that, 
it increases your chances of wanting to give up. Because you run your race carrying something that you were never supposed to carry yourself. Jesus came in and says, I will take and bear and wear your sin and I will take it to the cross. So you don't have to run your race carrying this. Sometimes, can I just tell you, it's as easy as coming back to Jesus and saying, I've been carrying something that isn't mine to carry. i got to lay this aside. Because can I tell you this? He's way stronger than we are. We will struggle and we will get injured, and we will slow down. You want to know what else this does, David? If you're, we're running a race and you're carrying that, that's going to separate some distance between us. You want to know why? I'm not carrying what you're carrying, and so I'm going to probably put some distance, and then all of a sudden you're going to wake up one day and you're going to go, how is he so far down the field, and I'm still back here struggling with the same stuff? And sometimes we, we do this comparison thing where we're like, they've grown, they've matured, they've gone on to to bigger and better things, and yet here I, here I am. Can I just tell you, sin is not worth it. Sin is not worth it. Can I just tell you a story? Just stay right here, David. Uh, this is about a year ago. A friend of mine that I was discipling, he had been walking with Jesus for probably eight months. And I love this guy. But he showed up to my house and he said, Pastor Justin, I'm having an affair with this woman. And I said, Wow. And I began to counsel him for a couple hours, and I said, I said, buddy, you're playing with fire. I said, you're going to hurt yourself. You're going to hurt your wife. You're going to hurt this other girl, and, 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 and this is not going to go the way that you, you think it will. And he's going, no, no, I think I can keep it a secret. And I'm going, you need to go to your wife, and you need to repent. You need to just come clean. Ask for forgiveness. Well, however that works, I'm telling you. And, and, and he literally left that conversation with just a, a, a neutral kind of, I'm not going to not do that, but I'm not going to do it. I'll pray about it. And I literally prophesied over his life without realizing, I mean, I say that jokingly, but I told him, I said, I said, buddy, we are all only three decisions away from being homeless. Can I just tell you what happened? Two weeks later, he shows up at my house with next to no clothes. He had on a, a tank top and some shorts and flip-flops. He had just gotten bailed out of jail. His wife found out. He got arrested. He goes to jail. He gets bailed out. During that time, she canceled all his cards, took all his money, um, sold you know, everything. And he came out and he said, I don't have a place to stay. She's got my money. She's got my house. She's got what? Can I just tell you, this is what sin does. You give it an inch and it takes a foot. It takes more than you were ever willing to give it in the first place. The Bible says you got to lay that sin aside. And when pastors talk about sin, is it's not necessarily the most fun thing. I don't love telling my kids, hey, that thing's not good for you, because I know they like it. But I'm looking down the road. I'm looking down at their race, and I'm going, this is going to trip you up, kid. Can I just say, simply, sin has a cost. And it has cost many people from running their race. And it breaks my heart to say that that friend is no longer running their race. David, you can take that off. Thank you so much, David. The Bible also says, don't just lay aside every sin. It says lay aside every weight that hinders. You know, the weight in the Greek translates to impediment, which is a hindrance, that which impedes or hinders progress. Some things in our life, they're not intrinsically sin, but they still may not be good for us. 
I don't have time to fully get in here for the sake of time, but can I just say it this way? Sometimes we got to ask the question. we got to stop asking the question, is this right and is this wrong? we got to ask the better question, is this wise? Is this wise for me today? And in a month from now, is it wise for me then? Because you want to know what? It's not just sin that hinders. Sometimes it's living unwise. Is this relationship... They're not bad and they're not, they're pretty neutral, but are they right for me, Lord, to what you've called me to, to the race you've called me to run to? It it may not be that there's anything wrong with them. It may just be that it's unwise. Maybe it's a career choice. Can I tell you how many times I've found success outside of ministry and been tempted to leave knowing deep in my heart that this is where God has called me? It's not a matter of, is that opportunity wrong? Is this wise? Is this the race that God has called me to run? Friends, we got to lay aside sin and we got to lay aside the weights. We got to get rid of the good things in our life because they're keeping us from God things. And we've got to learn to evaluate our life through the question that is the filter is this beneficial to my faith? Christianity is a call to live differently. It's a call to lay aside sin and to lay aside weight and to run, but not just run randomly. It's to run fixated. It's to run focused. It's to run with an inspired motivation. Can I? Just, I can't. I'm. I'm going to get here in just a second, but it means to look at life through this evaluation: sin. This will hurt me. Weight. This will cost me. Can I tell you your priority? Your priorities and your price tags will change when you come to Jesus and you allow Him to take you on a spiritual journey. Because what you're willing to pay will not, will not remain the same. And, and what, you're, what, what will hurt you, you, you'll start to pull away from as you grow in your faith. And how do we begin to do this, though? This is real easy to get up here and say, right? But, Pastor, how do I actually stop sinning? And how do I actually lay these things aside? How do I do that? If it was that easy, don't you think I would have done it by now? I mean, if it was that simple, isn't this what you feel? This is what I feel. And I want to go back because a couple weeks Pastor Wayne preached on Hebrews 11. And I want to go revisit this because it's so powerful. Hebrews 11 reads like this. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. Admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. Watch this here. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they they would have had the opportunity to return. But instead, they're longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. I want you to understand something today. All of these great cloud of witnesses that we've referenced, they understood something. They are not locals to this earth. They They are but foreigners. Because our home is not here. Our home is in heaven with God. In the fullness of his joy, I'm I'm telling you, if you're going to run this race, you got to look beyond what can be seen. If you're going to run your race faithfully, you got to have your eyes fixed on something that is greater than anything that you can physically see with your physical eye. you got to have your eyes fixed on Jesus. He's the only thing that will motivate and inspire and fuel your tank. He's the only thing that's good enough to even make you want to make it across the finish line. i got to tell you, friends, The writer of Hebrews knew what they were talking about. They said, i got to ask you today, are your eyes fixed and focused on Jesus? I think sometimes, and I know I'm going over, but I'm I'm almost done. 
Sometimes we step into a new faith, Christianity, but we do so without a new focus. And some of us love the ecosystem that Christianity creates because it gives us the ability to, to exceed, succeed and exceed if, if it's right or wrong rules. I love the way Pastor, uh, Elder David says, he says, some people are better by nature than others are by grace. Some people just like following the rules. Some people just like staying out of trouble. Some people, but can I just tell you, those people still have the same opportunity to go to hell. A new faith without a new focus will lead you nowhere. Actually, it will lead you somewhere. Let me say it this way. New faith without new focus will guarantee two things in your life. You will become weary, and number two, you will lose heart. Revelation chapter 2, and then I'm done, says, I know your deeds. This is Jesus talking to the church in Ephesus that's been around for 40 years, meaning second generation Christians. Moms and dads that knew Jesus, sons and daughters that knew Jesus. In other words, they had their own Christian subculture. In other words, they had their own Christian ecosystem. In other words, they had their own inside jokes. They knew what an order of service looked like for them. And here's what Jesus looks at them and says. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know you don't tolerate wicked people. I know, I know that, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and you have found them false you have persevered and you have endured hardships for my name and you have not grown weary here's what Jesus is saying you guys are killing it you endure hardships you're faithful you're generous you don't tolerate evil but then this is what blows my mind Jesus looks at their ecosystem and says one thing I hold against you some translations say you don't love people and you don't love God the way that you used to. Here's what this translation says. You have forsaken your first love. This church gives us a 101 class on how to lose your love for God. How to lose your fixated focus on Jesus. Here's what happened. They allowed their love for the kingdom of God to displace their love for the king. And sometimes we come in here and we love Christian subculture Sometimes we love the worship music. We love our K-love. We love our, 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 our rules. We love our, our, we love our standards. We love our measure, standards of measuring more than we love Jesus. This is why I almost like hanging out with unbelievers more than I like hanging out with Christians. Can I just be honest? It is so refreshing when somebody curses around me and then doesn't apologize because they don't know I'm a Christian. I'm just like, thank you for being authentic. Thank you for not being fake. I would much rather you show me all your flaws. I'm going to love you. Can I just tell you, pastors don't get into ministry because they believe that they're going to convince people to not sin. We get into ministry because we know that people will, and we're going to be in their corner championing them, pushing them, spurring them back to their lane, saying, you run your race. Run your race. He's faithful. I want you to know that when our focus is on being a Christian, we become restless. But when our focus is on Jesus, we become refreshed. What does that Revelation chapter 2 say? If, if you don't repent, I'll come and remove your lampstand. But when you repent, you're refreshed. Isn't that right, Pastor Daniel? You want to know what makes for good runners? And then I'm done. Good resters. Only our rest is not in sleep or a bed. Our rest is in a person. And so today... I want to just ask you, would you close your eyes? Would you bow your heads? Matthew chapter 11. I want to read this to you before I pray for you. It says, are you tired? Worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. 
get away with me. And you'll rec- you, you will recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly.